In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host, Tom Powell. All right, welcome back in. As the man in the intro said, this is the Second Half Podcast, and I'm Tom Powell. And the reason why you should go get yourself margaritas this weekend is because next week is Thanksgiving. And if there is ever a reason to begin pre-drinking, it's the thought of sitting down with family members that you don't like in order to break bread on one of the biggest meals of the year. Now, I'm in a fortunate position. I like my in-laws. My in-laws are great. My mother-in-law is phenomenal. So I don't have anything to worry about. And we don't have any red hat wearing Trumpers coming to the Thanksgiving dinner. So it's not that big of a deal for us. But many of you are going to have, you know, Uncle Bob stop by to tell you about his latest conspiracy theory. So it's better to deal with those things while... God damn, excuse me. While slightly elevated. So, uh, begin drinking today. Don't stop until Thanksgiving dinner, and you should be okay. Another reason why you should maybe celebrate is because uh, my wife and I, excuse me. Oh my God. My wife and I will be going into the city tonight uh, to see comedian Phil Hanley. If you don't know who Phil Hanley is and you're on TikTok, you should look him up. He has a TikTok channel where he posts clips of his stand-up comedy. Uh, I refer to him as the the Grateful Dead comic. Uh, He's a big uh, deadhead, big Jerry Garcia fan, and he almost always has some type of Grateful Dead or Jerry Garcia shirt on when he's playing uh, on stage, when he's performing on stage. Uh, He's playing at the Den Theater in the city of Chicago tonight. We got tickets I fucking love this guy's stuff, uh, his stuff, so uh, I'm hoping we can make it, and when I say I'm hoping we can make it, I'm a smidge under the weather, and our boy is full-blown sick, so fingers crossed I don't decline in the next several hours, and we're actually able to make it. I think right now it's just what I've got going on is in the throat because change of weather, uh, and, it, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. It happens. But anyway, there are your reasons to go get margaritas this weekend. Uh, Thanksgiving is next week, and I get to go see Phil Hanley tonight. So go get yourself a pitcher of margaritas and celebrate accordingly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, before we get into the news of the week, a reminder to swing by my website, oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippymedia.com. There you're going to get damn near anything you want to know about me, including uh, links on where you can buy my books. I have two self-published books available in paperback and ebook format. Uh, Links on where you can uh, follow me on all of the various social media accounts. Uh, Links on where you can find both of my podcasts. If you like listening to this podcast, I do another podcast on Patreon. Two episodes a month, over an hour each episode, 
and it's me interviewing other people about what they have going on in their world, what they have going on in their life. So uh, that costs $4.20, and I'm trying to grow that platform. So if you could, go subscribe. You're also going to find links on other po- to other podcasts I've appeared in, uh, are on, and articles I've appeared in, as well as my blog. I write a weekly blog that uh, a new article comes out every Wednesday. Go subscribe to that so that you can get an email notification when I put it up, as well as links on how you can contact me and support me generally. <clears throat> so once again, that's all at oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. So now, because it's football season, we're going to move into the football segment of the show. We're going to make it short and sweet. Uh, not a lot of people who follow me dig on the football section, but I like to do football picks every week during the football season and the NFL season. And um, this is the segment in which I give you those picks. Uh, last week, <laughs> I went six and seven. It was not a stellar week for me. That brings my season record to 77 and 63. Uh, Usually at this point in time, I'll give you a couple of notes about the the previous week's NFL news, but really the only sports-related note that I wanted to touch on here is the news this past week that the Oakland Athletics, the Major League Baseball team in Oakland, California, the Oakland A's, will be moving to Las Vegas. A unanimous owner's vote has approved their relocation to the city of Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas will be building them a new stadium on the site of one of the old casinos, and it will have a partially retractable roof. It's the very first thing that my wife asked me when we were talking about uh, the A's moving to Las Vegas. She goes, well, are they going to play in a dome, or are they just going to scorch on the field? (laughs) Or are they going to not play baseball through the summer, and it's going to be a winter sport? And she's got a point. It's hot as fuck. In Vegas, like way too hot. So they are building them a dome stadium with a partially retractable roof. Uh, but now this means that uh, Las Vegas, in addition to now having a football team, would be the uh, the uh, former Oakland Raiders are now the Las Vegas Raiders. <coughs> uh, they have a hockey team, the Golden Knights, I believe it's called, and a soccer team, a professional soccer team. They will now have a Major League Baseball team in the Oakland A's, and ironically enough, they got their football team and their baseball team both from the city of Oakland. So Oakland's got to be feeling some kind of way about Vegas right now. Uh, With all of these teams claiming Vegas as their home now, one has to assume it's only a matter of time before Vegas gets an NBA team, before there's a professional basketball team in that town. Uh, Vegas is definitely beginning to make its mark (laughs) In the professional sports world, I remember when Vegas was only a college sports town because of the betting aspect on it. And the biggest thing that was coming out of Vegas was the UNLV basketball team. Remember Shark, uh, Tark the Shark, Jerry Tarkanian? He used to chew on a towel during the... uh, during the, uh, the basketball games, and if you've never seen Jerry Tarkanian and his towel, you have to go to YouTube and look it up. <clears throat> he was the head coach of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, the UNLV uh, team, and he had a folded up like a dish towel, and he would gnaw on it the same way that my uh, yellow lab gnaws on his toys and blankets. It's amazing. 
to to watch. It was really a sight to behold, and they were pretty good back in the day. So they were a noteworthy team, and and, and Tarkanian was a pretty decent coach. So. Uh, good luck to the A's in their move to Vegas, and congratulations on Vegas uh, in attracting all of these various uh, professional sports teams. Like I said, it's only a matter of time before they get a professional basketball team there. That being said, I'm now going to give you this week's winners, and remember a couple of things. One, I don't pick the Thursday games because my podcast airs on Friday. Two... Do not bet with these picks because you will lose money. You saw my record. I will repeat my record for you just in case it didn't sink in. Last week I went 6-7. and seven. My season record for picking games this year is 77-63. and 63. Do not go bet your money with these picks. And lastly, before I give you the picks, I will probably do a brief, just a few minute <clears throat> episode on Wednesday of next week, just to give you the uh, Thanksgiving games, because I do like to, to give my Thanksgiving picks. Um, but I got to do them on Wednesday, obviously, before the games kick off. And, oh, another reminder real quick, uh, there is no podcast episode next week. Next week is the day after Thanksgiving, and with all due respect, uh, since I ain't getting paid to do this, I ain't fucking doing it the day after Thanksgiving. I am taking the long weekend to myself, well, myself and my wife. I'm spending time with my wife as much as humanly possible for the remainder of my days. So uh, we'll be doing something differently on Black Friday than doing a podcast episode. With that being said, this week's winners will be the Cowboys, Steelers, Lions, Packers, Texans, Jaguars, Dolphins, Commanders, 49ers, Bills, Seahawks, Broncos, and the Chiefs. So there are your picks sure to go wrong. Um, I'm going to get into political news, obviously, because that's what I talk about on this podcast. But uh, a couple of non-political news stories. Well, one of them is somewhat political, uh, but... Let me, let me do a couple of non-political news stories. And before I do that, let me just say, um, I got my vaccinations this week. Uh, actually got my vaccinations on Sunday, this past Sunday. And I got the, uh, the updated COVID vaccine. I got the flu vaccine. And I got the shingles vaccine. And I did it all in one day. Uh, COVID and flu went into my right arm. Um, the shingles went into my left arm. My arms were sore for a couple of days. I felt under the weather for a couple of days, but it wasn't too horrible. It was just felt icky for a couple of days. Um, I haven't gotten a flu shot in I don't know how fucking long. I don't believe I have gotten a flu shot in... My wife is going to have to correct me on this if I'm wrong. I don't believe I've gotten a flu shot in the entire time that I've been with Renee, and that is... <laughs> As of May, we're talking 25 years of marriage, so 27 years of being together. And if that is the case, if Renee can can verify that, that I have not gotten a flu shot in the entire time that we have been together, then I believe the last time I got a flu shot was when I was but a wee Utah. And my mother took me, because I sure as fuck didn't get one when I was living on my own in the Chicagoland area before I met Renee, which was a brief period of time. Um... 
I sure as fuck didn't get one in the few years that I spent traveling back and forth across this country. I didn't get one in the uh, couple of years after I dropped out of high school, and I sure as fuck didn't get one when I was in high school or junior high. So, it's got to be elementary school for me the last time I got a flu shot. And getting old sucks, doesn't it? The fucking shingles vaccine? God damn. I mean, you reach a certain point and things start falling apart. You know, since April of 22, I've had a cataract surgery on my left eye, a full right hip replacement, a colonoscopy. And if you don't know what that is, that's where they knock you out and a doctor shoves a camera up your ass to check for polyps and an emergency gallbladder removal. (laughs) And now I'm getting things like the shingle shot. Not cool. Not cool. I mean, I dig the experience and the wisdom that comes with age. I dig the uh, the memories and the and the lifetimes worth of joy and 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 good times with your family that comes with age. But I don't dig this falling apart yet. When they say youth is wasted on the young, they mean it. Excuse me a moment. mock speed all right into the news like i said i have a couple of non-political news stories to start with this first one is non-political and political all at the same time and that is the announcement that jason aldean and kid rock will uh will uh put on a co-headlining tour in 2024 called the rock of the country tour i'm going to read to you now from billboard Small towns have long played an outside role in American songwriting, often serving as waypoint between uh, past and present, a place that some characters leave, others yearn to return, and many are left behind. For country singer Jason Aldean, the intricate details of life in a small town, from beer runs to local Amico station to the smell of white rain hairspray at a Friday football game, have led to some of the genre's most commercially successful songs in the past two decades. Songs such as Night Train, a love story about a man who stays connected to his hometown through uh, sound of passing freight trains, or Amarillo Sky, which honors a humble farmer whose connection to his family is threatened by drought. Yada, 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 yada. Listen, I'm not going to get too deep into this article because it kind of gives you a, a little bit of a fluff piece about the two. I really wanted to talk about the fact that Kid Rock and Jason Aldean are doing this tour together. And the fakeness behind it. And that's really what it is. It's a fakeness. It's a phoniness. It's a, it's, it's a con job on the people who they're trying to get to support them. So what do I mean by that? Well, Jason Aldean has recently become uh, newsworthy because of his sound, his song, Try That in a Small Town, where basically there are a lot of racist overtones uh, 
are there flat out racist words? No, they're overtones. They're dog whistles. And that's what the fucking people who don't like what we have to say about Jason Aldean's song don't fucking grasp, right? Well, he never said anything racist. No, he, he implied it. He hinted at it, right? What did he show in his music video for, for Try That in a Small Town? A bunch of black people committing crimes in big cities and him saying, come try that in a small town. And the video was held in front of uh, uh, the site of several lynchings in the past. So he he became uh, noteworthy, newsworthy this year as a result of that. And he's not even fucking from a small town. He, he's not. I mean, he... <clears throat> He's portraying himself to be some kind of small-town everyman, but he's not. And then you get to Kid Rock, who is also not what he portrays. Kid Rock is the son of a guy who owned a major car dealership. He grew up in uh, luxury in Michigan. He grew up in a mansion for the area, a very nice house. He grew up with money. He grew up not having to worry about anything. And then he portrays himself as some southern rebel straight out of the trailer park. And so what both of these gentlemen have managed to do over the course of their careers, Jason Aldean and and Kid Rock, is they have managed to sell simple-minded people that they too are simple-minded folk just like them. And if you want to follow and support a simple-minded every man kind of person just like you, then you should buy our records, you should buy our merch, you should come to our shows. But it's all a fake. It's all a put-on. It's all a persona that has been created in order to sell it to rural America. And unfortunately, rural America has become, there is no way of getting around it, uh, the biggest consumer of bullshit lies, conspiracy theories, and faux personalities. That's why Republicans in this country try so hard to to market themselves, for lack of a better way of putting it, to small-town America. Because th- those people, not all of them, I have family in small town that don't apply to this, but those people in those small towns, a lot of them, will buy any of the bullshit that is sold to them. Any fucking bullshit that is sold to them. So much so that the people in the small towns have been sold and they've bought the notion that a New York billionaire is looking out for them. That's all you need to know, folks. That's all you need to know. Anyway, uh, dates and locations for the Rock the Country tour are Gonzales, Louisiana, Ashland, Kentucky, Rome, Georgia, Ocala, Florida, Mobile, Mobile, Alabama, Poplar Bluff, Michigan, Anderson, South Carolina, and I believe that's it. Yeah, they got a couple of dates at Anderson, South Carolina, and that's it. That's the entirety of that tour. And for me, that's a must-miss tour. There's... There's nothing in, in this world that would make me go to that. Unless my wife came to me and said, listen, I really, 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 really want to go to this. At which point in time I would say to her, but do you really want to go to it? Because it will if you really want to go to it. But if you just kind of sort of really want to go to it, then fuck those assholes. 
she might like Jason Aldean's music. She digs on country. I don't know if she does or does not. Um, Kid Rock, not her cup of tea. I dig some of Kid Rock songs. I have some Kid Rock songs on my phone. Would I support him any further after what he's become? No. So that's a must-miss tour for me. But from moving into a must-miss tour, we now got to talk about a must-see tour, and that is the final tour of the legend himself, stand-up comedian Lewis Black. <clears throat> this one actually makes me pretty sad. I'm going to read to you from Deadline.com now. After 35-plus years as a touring stand-up comedian, Lewis Black is preparing to park his tour bus for good. On the road through next month to wrap up his 2023 Off the Rails tour, Black this morning unveiled, and not this morning, whenever this article came out, unveiled the dates for Goodbye Yeller Brick Road, the final tour, which is set to take place through North America and Europe from January 2025 through 2024 through 2025. Tickets go on sale today, November 17th at 10 a.m., uh, uh, our time, Central Time, I believe, uh, with official fan club pre-sailing starting Tuesday, November 14th, which has already passed. Sorry, I'm reading the article. My apologies. Um, Black's dates for this month through May can be found below, and I will read you some of those. Uh, you know what? No, I'm not going to read you some of those dates because... Uh, there's no point in reading you the dates. You just need to go Google this shit here. You, you should go check out his podcast called The Rant Cast. And give him a listen, first and foremost. He's going to uh, continue to do the podcast. He's going to continue to do appearances. He's going to continue to work. He's just not going to continue to tour. And... Uh, I said it was a sad thing, but it's really kind of a a mixed emotion thing for me. Because I don't want to see him retire, obviously. I've seen him twice, and I love his stuff. But he's earned it. You know what I mean? He, he's been touring for 35 years. He's helped so many people get their starts, not the least of which was Kathleen Madigan, another comedian that we love. So uh, hopefully I'm going to be able to get tickets for this show. Um, the closest he's coming to Chicago for this final tour is going to be in Waukegan, Illinois, in the far north suburbs on Sunday, February 18th. So when I'm done recording this podcast and I'm mixing it and putting it all together, I will be watching the clock for 10 a.m. to see if I can get on there and score some tickets. And if you can, go see him one last time because it really is a good show. It, it We saw him... We saw him at the Rialto Theater in Joliet, and we saw him at the Egyptian Theater in DeKalb, Illinois, where Northern Illinois University is located. And I'll tell you something, it, 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 was, a, it was a good show both times. So, fingers crossed I can get into this last Chicago stop for the legend himself, Lewis Black. Now, from the must-miss tour and the must-see tour, we move to... I don't know how I feel about this one, but it sure as fuck seems interesting, Tor. Sammy Hagar, I'm sure everybody knows Sammy Hagar from I Can't Drive 55 fame, as well as the 
the replacement for David Lee Roth in Van Halen back in the day. Sammy Hagar has announced a Van Halen tribute tour. And the, the band is going to be made of Sammy on vocals, Michael Anthony of Van Halen um, on uh, bass, Joe Satriani on guitar, which is phenomenal. And if you guys don't know, Chickenfoot, Sammy Hagar's band Chickenfoot, was a super band that had Joe Satriani on the, uh, the, uh, the guitar and Michael Anthony on the, on the bass. So this is not only a Van Halen tribute tour, but it's kind of a bastardization of uh, uh, the band Chickenfoot uh, because they did change the drummer. The drummer for Chickenfoot was actually the drummer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the drummer for this tour is going to be Jason Bonham. Yeah, that Jason Bonham. The son of legendary uh, Led Zeppelin uh, drummer John Bonham. I, this this sounds interesting as shit. I'm going to read to you now from Metal Injection. Former Van Halen vocalist Sammy Hagar and bassist Michael Anthony have teamed up with guitarist Joe Satriani and drummer Jason Bonham for the Best of All Worlds tour scheduled for 2024. The obvious exclusions here are founding Van Halen drummer Alex Van Halen, the extremely capable Wolfgang Van Halen, and former Van Halen vocalist David Lee Roth. Looks like Jason Newstead getting the didn't get the call either. <laughs> it's crazy to think that it'll be 20 years since Mikey and I played these songs with Van Halen on the 04 Best of Both Worlds tour, said Hager. With Joe on board, we can take a deeper dive into those years. We're going to touch on some hits from my entire career, but seeing fans old and new really embrace the new collection set, uh, uh, set off something in Mikey and I. We were at my birthday bash in Cabo for my 76th, and, I, and we looked at each other and high-fived and said, let's do it. <sighs> you know, I never got to see Van Halen live. I love Van Halen's music. I dig Sammy Hagar. Joe Satriani is a guitar legend. Jason Bonham, I mean, the, the kid can rip a kid. He's a full-grown man. He's a kid to me. The kid can just fucking shred on the drums. This could be a very interesting tour. This could be a very interesting tour. If you're in the Chicagoland area and you want to see this uh, this Van Halen tribute tour, the closest they're going to be getting to Chicago is August 3rd in Tinley Park, Illinois, at the Credit One Credit Union One Amphitheater. So look for those tickets to go on sale at some point in time in the near future and score yourself some if you want to go see this lineup. It, it sounds like an interesting lineup. One last non-political news story before we get into a couple of political news stories this week. And uh, and that is Iceland. Have you guys been paying attention to what's going on in Iceland? Because they're in some shit right now, man. They're... It's scary what's going on in Iceland. I'm going to read to you now from Live Science. Iceland's potentially imminent eruption in the Reykjans Peninsula is part of a 1,000-year-old cycle of volcanic activity that will likely cause eruptions for centuries, scientists say. Centuries. There's a volcano on the verge of erupting in, in this country. They've been having a shit ton of earthquakes. They're evacuating certain parts of the island 
in preparation for this, what they're calling an imminent volcanic eruption. And this scientist says that the imminent eruption is, I will repeat, a part of a 1,000-year cycle of volcanic activity that will likely cause eruptions for centuries. Quote, time's finally up. Edward W. Marshall, a researcher at the University of Iceland's Nordic Volcanicological, motherfucker say that six times real fast, center, uh, told Live Science in an email, we can get ready for another few hundred years of eruptions on Rick Jane's, he said. Seismic activity began increasing in the south of the peninsula in October, with hundreds of earthquakes recorded there each day. On November 10th, authorities evacuated the town of Grindavik with experts warning an uh, an, an eruption could take place in just days. According to the Icelandic Met Office, or IMO, a magma tunnel stretching 9.3 miles formed beneath the ground between Sundurken in the north and Grindavik in the south. I'm sorry, what? A fucking nine-mile magma tunnel? I, I feel like I should be making a tribute band joke with the, ter- with the term magma tunnel, but I, I can't come up with one because this shit's fucking nuts. The area affected also encompasses the Blue Lagoon Geothermal Spa, a tourist hotspot that attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors annually. Magma in the tunnel, also known as a dike, appears to be rising to the surface and there is a risk of it breaking through. The greatest area of magna, magma upwelling is currently close to Sun Urken, about two miles northeast of Grindavik, according to the IMO. Researchers believe the amount of magma in the tunnel is significantly more than what was present during eruptions at Vagra. I can't pronounce it, Vagradalsva, V-A-G-R-A-D-A-L-S-F-J-A-L-L, Vagradalsva. Vagina fall. Okay, uh, significantly more than what was present present during the eruptions at Vagina Fall, which sparked back to life in 2021 after more than 800 years of inactivity. That 2021 eruption marked the start of a new cycle of volcanic activity on the Rec James Peninsula. Geological records show periods of inactivity between 600 and 1,200 years. Which is, when, which is then followed up by pulses of eruptions lasting between 200 and 500 years. It looks like 2021 kicked off a new eruption phase, which might see several fault zones crossing the, rec- the peninsula, firing on and off for centuries, a researcher said. The Rec James Peninsula, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct either, so forgive me, it's R E Y. K-J-A-N-E-S. The Rick James Peninsula sits about two tectonic plates, sits above two tectonic plates that are being pulled apart. The strains, uh, strain that builds up is released in bursts as part of the cycle. We are now in one of these pulses, David Powell, uh, Pyle, a, I, I still can't believe this is an actual word, a volcanologist, <laughs> 
and professor of earth scientists at the university. Okay, you, fuck this article. I can't pronounce half the fucking words in the article. I want to get on to the political news stories. We're half an hour into this fucking thing, and I haven't even talked about politics yet with the exception of Jason Aldean and Kid Rock. But the point being is, if you're not paying attention to what's going on in Iceland, you need to be paying attention to what's going on in Iceland. Because it, it damn near seems like that island, that country, is going to be uninhabitable <laughs> real fucking fast. How do you live in a place that has hundreds of earthquakes daily and has now entered into a cycle of volcanic eruptions that will last two to five hundred years. I, I'm sure it's a lovely place. I'm sure that the people are lovely people. I'm not trying to shit on you by not pronouncing your names correctly. And I'm not trying to suggest that you shouldn't love and try to save your country. But if I was in Iceland right now, all you would see is a fucking vapor trail. I would be packing my shit so fucking fast and be on the next plane so fucking quickly that all you would see is a trail of dust behind me oh we're 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 getting hundreds of earthquakes a day and we're entering into a volcanic cycle that's going to cause eruptions for the next few hundred years (laughs) okay boca raton's looking real fucking good this time of year you know what i mean all of a sudden chicago winters don't bother me at least we don't have hundreds of volcano or hundreds of earthquakes every day and volcanic eruptions imminent. Oddly enough, we did have an earthquake here in Illinois just this week—a 3.2 down in uh, uh, central Illinois. Hopefully, it shook some of them fucking hilljacks into reality. But I digress. Tom, be nice. No, fuck that. I'm not a nice guy, so why should I fucking be nice for them? Anyway, we move on to politics. Imagine that. Uh, and we're going to start with some uh, with a Democrat who's uh, fucking up fast and picking up steam. The FBI has seized the phones and iPads of Democratic New York, uh, the Democratic New York City mayor, who's under investigation. I'm going to read to you now from AP News. FBI agents quietly seized phones and an iPad from New York City uh, Mayor Eric Adams earlier this week as part of an investigation into political fundraising during his 2021 campaign, his attorney disclosed on Friday. The seizures happened as Adams was leaving a public event in Manhattan, according to a statement from the mayor's attorney, Boyd Johnson. Quote, On Monday night, the FBI approached the mayor after an event. The mayor immediately complied with the FBI's request and provided them with electronic devices, Johnson said. The mayor has not been accused of any wrongdoing and continues to cooperate with the investigation, he continued. The seizure of the devices, first reported by the New York Times, came four days after federal agents searched the Brooklyn home of Adams's top campaign fundraiser, Brianna Suggs. That search prompted the mayor to cancel a planned trip to meet with White House officials in Washington and instead return to New York. In a statement on Friday, Adams, a former police captain, said that he had nothing to hide. Quote, As a former member of law enforcement, I expect all members of my staff to follow the law and fully cooperate with any sort of investigation, and I will continue to do exactly that, he said. The revelation of the seizure is the clearest evidence yet that federal investigators are interested in Adams, who has previously kept an arm's length distance from ethics scandals that have dogged several of his associates. Adams, a Democrat, said nothing publicly about his phone being seized when he met with reporters on Wednesday and instead he wasn't and insisted he wasn't aware of any wrongdoing by members of his campaign team. He said he would be shocked if anyone on his campaign acted improperly, inappropriately. My apologies. 
But in his statement on Friday, Adams' attorney said that they had discovered that an individual had recently acted inappropriately or improperly. His campaign spokesperson declined to identify who the person involved was or say that what they did wrong. After learning of the federal investigation, it was discovered that an individual had recently acted improperly. In the spirit of transparency and cooperation, this behavior was immediately and proactively reported to investigators, Johnson said, offering no further detail. So, what do we learn from this? We learn that the New York City mayor is under investigation for something involving his campaign funds from 2021. Um, his top fundraiser had her house uh, raided. Obviously, Mr. Adams's electronic devices were seized. And it appears as if, from reading that article, they are looking for someone to be the sacrificial lamb. They are looking to throw somebody under the bus and say, well, they did it, and we were unaware of it. And that might work for them. Who the hell knows? Uh, But usually, if they take your electronic devices, it means they believe that you have some type of communication on those devices that prove that you knew what was going on, and you may have actually ordered or directed it to happen. So if I were Eric Adams, I'd be shitting in my britches right about now. Seriously. I mean, the FBI taking your phone... The FBI taking your iPad. They got to know something, right? So, uh, watch this space for more news on this. But, um, yeah, we're going to call out Democrats for their bullshit when it happens here, too. And if Eric Adams is found to have done something wrong, then his ass should be thrown in fucking jail. And we should get a new mayor of New York, too. I don't give a fuck that he's got a D next to his name. A D, and R, and I. I don't give a fuck if you're white, black, brown, yellow, purple, green, fuchsia, gay, straight, man, woman, I don't fucking care. If you did something illegal while serving the people of this country, you should be held accountable. As a matter of fact, while the law equally applies to everybody in this country, or it should equally apply to everybody in this country, I think it is incumbent upon us to hold our elected officials to a higher standard than the general public. These are people that are here to serve the public. Remember, He's not the mayor of New York. He's a a public servant for the people of New York. He works for the people of New York, just like every other politician works for their constituents, right down to every last small town in America. I live in a town of 13,900 people. Where I live, that's considered a small town. Uh, Our mayor here in town? A wonderful person, know her personally, she's great, I think she's doing a wonderful job, but at the end of the day, she is our employee, not the other way around, and and, and we've got to start looking at that on every level, including our senators, our members of Congress, our presidents, our vice presidents, mayors of big cities, all of it. Once again, if they're Democrat or Republican, does not fucking matter. Hold them accountable if they did something wrong. Now, from New York, we're going to drop down to uh, South Carolina, where the news dropped this week that Tim Scott has dropped out of the presidential race, as what appears to be happening is the field is beginning to part for Donald Trump. I'm going to read to you now from NBC News. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina announced Sunday night that he is dropping out of the 2024 Republican presidential campaign 
shocking a TV interviewer and even his own campaign staff when it brunched apart with an abrupt departure from the race. Quote, when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential candidate. I'm suspending my campaign, Scott said in an appearance in an appearance on former GOP representative Trey Gowdy's Fox News program. I think the voters, who are the most remarkable people on the planet, have never really have been really clear that they're telling me not now, Scott continued. The announcement was a surprise. Gowdy, a former colleague of Scott's in the House of Representatives, appeared to do a double take as he made his statement. Multiple Scott staffers told NBC News they got no warning he was ending the campaign, finding out only by watching him say so on TV. Scott's campaign even sent out a fundraising email not long before he announced he was leaving the race. Quote, we want to give you one last chance to donate this weekend to help Tim reach his campaign goal. Can you chip in to help Tim win? The campaign wrote. His decision comes amid efforts to consolidate the GOP opposition to former President Donald Trump, who has big leads in primary polls, including in the first uh, caucus state, Iowa. Scott took 7% uh, support there in the October NBC News Des Moines Register uh, poll, putting him in fourth place. Scott's dropout also come, uh, comes days after the third Republican presidential debate in Miami, after which he canceled the scheduled weekend campaign swing in Iowa, citing the flu. Scott started the 2024 campa- campaign relatively little known compared to some of the, uh, the competitors. His campaign and an allied super PAC spent nearly $25 million on ads in Iowa and other early states, promoting him as an optimistic conservative according to Ad Impact, an ad tracking service. Scott saw an uptick in early state polls soon throughout the summer, but money started to grow tight leading up to Sunday's dropout, according to a source familiar with the campaign. Scott never caught fire in the GOP debates, and his poll numbers stagnated as an in-state rival caught attention. He is dropping out of the race, just as former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has pulled into second place in early state primary polls. Haley, who appointed Scott to the Senate in 2012, praised him on X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. Tim Scott is a good man of faith and an inspiration to so many. The Republican primary was better by his participation in it. South Carolina is blessed to continue to have him as our senator, she wrote. I believe what's happening in the Republican primary right now is... Everybody, with the exception of the most ardent anti-Trump people like Chris Christie, uh, I, I believe that the people like him, Vivek Ramaswamy, and other people are, are beginning to see that th- there just isn't going to be another nominee. Chris Christie's going to stay in and he's going to fight. Nikki Haley's probably going to stay in in a while. She was a she was a a, a member of Trump's uh, administration. Uh, she was uh, working up at the UN on behalf of Trump, but has done some distancing from Trump in the campaign. So she's, I would say, probably an anti-Trumper at this point in time. Uh, but when she drops out, when she doesn't get the nomination, and that is going to happen, she's not going to get the nomination. Then she, I believe she'll throw her her support behind Trump. 
the Republican Party doesn't know what to do right now, unfortunately. Because I, I believe, I truly believe this, the Republican Party wants to rid themselves of the cancer that is Trumpism, that is Trump. And they just can't do it yet. Because Trump doesn't have supporters. Trump doesn't have followers. He has cult members. And they are loyal to him until the bitter end. And I mean the bitter end. I am betting a solid 20% of hardcore Trump supporters are going to say that his death was faked when he eventually passes. That's how hardcore they are in for this guy. And those people aren't going to vote for anybody else as long as Trump is an option. They just aren't. And so what you're starting to see is some of these lesser candidates, let's put it, realize that and say, we're just spinning our wheels. Until 2028, when he's not an option anymore, we don't have a chance. So I think the field is beginning to part on the Republican side, which means we are more likely than not steamrolling towards a 2020 rematch, Trump v. Biden, which sucks for our country, unfortunately. Uh, But that's what we're looking at. Now, there is a possibility. It's a slim possibility, but a possibility nonetheless, that in Iowa, one of two people could catch fire. Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Remember, a lot of presidential candidates and a lot lot of presidents didn't win Iowa and went on to be successful. Trump didn't win Iowa in 2016. I don't know if you guys recall this, but Ted Cruz won Iowa in 2016, and then Trump promptly, uh, uh, promptly blamed him for rigging the Iowa caucuses and demanded that they be held over again. So, winning Iowa uh, in the odds of uh, the era of Trumpism, when the odds are against you, is a possibility for both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. The question is, can they gain momentum after that? Can they win Iowa? Can they win New Hampshire? Can they win South Carolina? Can they go into Super Tuesday strong? And I just don't know that that's the case. We're going to find out soon. I mean, we're we're barrel rolling towards this. So we're going to find out real fucking soon whether or not uh, any, either of these people uh, are an actual viable candidate within the Republican Party. But I, I, I'm telling you, I think it's going to be Trump. And when I say I think it's going to be Trump, I think it's going to be Trump through and through. Doesn't matter what the court cases bring him. Doesn't matter what his position is. Doesn't matter if he's a convicted felon. Doesn't matter if he's fled the country. Doesn't matter. They're going to vote for him. And enough Republicans are going to vote for him that he will be the Republican nominee in 2024. So, one less Republican for him to deal with, with Tim Scott being out. And that just kind of shows you what a mess the Republican Party is in, in today's day and age. And the Republican uh, mess is not isolated to the presidential uh, politics of the party. The Republican uh, House continues to be a hot mess. Uh, The House has blocked Marjorie Taylor Greene's attempt to impeach uh, Mayorkas, and she's running around calling Lauren Boebert a whore. I'm going to read to you a few different stories now about just what a mess the Republican Party really is. I'm going to read to you first from USA Today. 
The House voted Monday evening to set aside a long-shot bid from conservative firebrand Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Lawmakers effectively dismissed the resolution by a bipartisan vote of 209 to 201 by referring it to the House Homeland Security Committee. That blocked the push from Green, who introduced the resolution as privileged, which forced the lower chamber to consider it on the floor within two legislative days. Eight Republicans joined all Democrats to defeat the measure. Cliff Bentz of Oregon, Ken Buck of Colorado, Daryl Issa of California, Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, Tom McClintock of California, Virginia Fox of North Carolina, John Duarte of California, and Mike Turner of Ohio. I am outraged, a frustrated Green said, leaving the Capitol building after the House turned down her resolution. I can assure you that Republican voters will be extremely angry that they've done this. No, honey. The Republican voters in your district are going to be extremely uh, disappointed that this has happened. But you serve a constituency of dumb fucks. There's just no other way of saying it. Green said she is considering introducing the resolution again at some point in the future and added she could put it on the floor as a privilege again to force the House to take up another vote. The Department of Homeland Security slammed Green's impeachment efforts and said Congress must stop wasting time. Secretary Mayorkas continues to be laser-focused on the statement or the safety and security of our nation. This baseless attack is completely without merit and a harmful distraction from our critical national security opportunities or priorities, a spokesperson for the department said uh, in a statement. The move garnered some support from GOP lawmakers, including Republican leaders, uh, House Majority Whip Tom Emmer, uh, who, uh, who announced his support for impeaching Mayorkas on a post on X. A vote to impeach Mayorkas is a vote to get our border under control. I'll be voting to impeach, Emmer said. Some members of the House Republican Conference have clamored to impeach Mayorkas amid the migrant crisis at the southern border. Those members, including Green, said he has failed to uphold his duty as Homeland Security Secretary. The last and only time the House impeached a cabinet member was in 1876. I don't know who Marjorie Taylor Green thinks she is, but she isn't who she thinks she is. She's not all that and a bag of chips. Now I'm going to read to you from the Daily Beast. After Representative Lauren Boebert helped get Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene kicked out of the House Freedom Caucus over the summer, Greene has been on a payback mission against her former friend-turned-nemesis. And after a date at Beetlejuice the Musical turned into a national conversation about groping, Greene has resorted to a playbook familiar to any woman who survived high school. She's telling GOP colleagues, according to lawmakers, that Boebert is a whore. Can't make it up, folks. Can't make it up. One Republican lawmaker who has heard Green use that word multiple times to describe Obert told the Daily Beast that Green has been uh, at this campaign for some time. Quote, calling her a whore, that's not new, this GOP lawmaker said. She's been doing that for a while. Another GOP lawmaker also witnessed Green refer to Boebert as a whore. The second lawmaker additionally claimed Green has trashed Boebert in a conversation with Donald Trump, though this member had no knowledge of the specific language Green used in that conversation. 
just that the two had discussed Boebert. Yet another GOP member who speaks to Donald Trump told the Daily Beast that Green had, in fact, made disparaging remarks about Boebert to the former president, though, again, this person didn't have specifics about what Green had to say to Trump. Trump didn't return a request for comment via a spokesperson. When the Daily Beast asked Green about these accusations this week, the Georgia, Georgia Republican didn't deny them. Instead, she sent uh, on a she went on a tirade against this reporter. Why are you working on a story? She asked. Because you like to uh, to write trash. You just can't help yourself. And that's what Green does. Green shows what a flame throwing bag of dog shit she really is. And then when the reporters ask her about it, she goes, "Well, what? What are you trying to get famous? You 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 just like writing trash?" Because she doesn't want to deal with the fact that she's a fucking idiot who behaves like a third grader while she's a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. So, Marjorie Taylor Green is running around calling Lauren Boebert a whore. Um, nobody is willing to, well, not nobody, not enough people are willing to go through with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene's myriad of impeachment attempts. She's trying to impeach, so far, she's trying to impeach Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Secretary Mayorkas, and I, I can't remember if she introduced articles of, of impeachment against Pete Buttigieg or not, but basically anybody that's in the, uh, the, the Biden camp, uh, cabinet she wants out she wants them all impeached she wants them all removed and that's not the extent of the gop dysfunction that's just the tip of the crazy iceberg mccarthy former house speaker uh, actually got into a physical alter uh, altercation with another house member who voted to oust him and this isn't even the craziest thing. I'm going to read you this, and then we're going to get into some crazy shit. I'm going to read to you now from NPR. In a sign of how deeply divided the House Republican Conference remains after weeks of infighting, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and one of the Republicans who voted to oust him had an altercation in the Capitol Tuesday. McCarthy shoved past Representative Tim Burchett, Republican of Tennessee, as he was speaking with NPR's Claudia Grizels in the hallway. Burchett stumbled... Uh, forward and yelled after McCarthy, "Why'd you elbow me in the back, Kevin? Hey, Kevin, why you got why you got any guts?" Burchett then uh, called McCarthy a jerk and chased him down the hallway. When he caught up with him, he said, "What kind of chicken move is that? You're pathetic, man. You're so pathetic." Burchett said, uh, "It was the first time he'd spoken to McCarthy since he voted to oust him. That was it." He said, "He should have kept his word. I think th- that just showed what he's all about, and it's unfortunate." McCarthy denied elbowing Burchett, telling CNN that it was a tight hallway. The dust-up comes hours before the House is slated to vote on a stopgap measure to keep the government open, which they did, by the way. The House has voted on a stopgap measure, and (laughs) before I get into the next crazy story, let me just touch on that briefly. So the new speaker, Johnson, who replaced McCarthy, got a stopgap measure, passed through the House, it passed through the Senate, and it was signed by the President to keep the government open. We were facing uh, a a government shutdown tomorrow, Saturday, November 18th. Excuse me. is the time of year. 
they got this uh, stopgap measure passed to keep the government open. But the hardcore right-wing Republicans don't like it because it only passed because Democrats voted for it. McCarthy was ousted for working with, with Democrats to keep the government going. McCarthy just worked with Democrats to keep the government going. And he's also indicated, not indicated, said that he is going to continue to support Ukraine through financial assistance, which the far right-wing faction of the party does not like. So, it is extraordinarily possible that before the next election, we could see a second Speaker of the House jettisoned from his role. We could see the Republicans get together to vote to oust yet another um, of their own Speakers of the House in less than a year's time. Dysfunction doesn't begin to describe accurately enough the insanity that is the Republican Party in 2023. <clears throat> and if you want even more proof of that, listen to this next story. I'm not even going to give you an intro to it. I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to read to you from CBS News. Republican Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma challenged the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters to a fight in a tense moment during a Senate hearing on Tuesday. Pause for just a fucking minute. First, you heard that correctly. A sitting senator in a senatorial hearing tried to fight the president of the Teamsters Union. Secondly, yes, you heard correctly that his name is Mark Wayne Mullen, and it is not Mark as a first name, Wayne as a middle name, and Mullen as a last name. His first name is Mark Wayne, M-A-R-K-W-A-Y-N-E. And one can only assume, given what we know of Mark Wayne Mullen and where he comes from, that Mark Wayne's mother named him Mark Wayne because she couldn't tell which one of her two brothers, Mark or Wayne, was the one that impregnated her. Remember, we're talking about people who believe that the term relative humidity uh, refers to the patch of perspiration that forms between the shoulder blades of your first cousin as your fucking her in the ass. The confrontation occurred during a hearing on labor unions in the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Sean O'Brien, the head of the nation's largest and most influential unions, was appearing as a witness. When Mullen got his chance to pose questions to the witness, he referenced a previous hearing in March when he and O'Brien had a heated exchange over Mullen's background as a business owner and O'Brien's salary as the union chief. Quote, I appreciate your demeanor today. It's quite different. But after you left here, you got pretty excited about the keyboard. In fact, you tweeted at me one, two, three, four, five times, Mullen said, holding up printed versions of O'Brien's posts on X. Mullen read one of O'Brien's posts aloud in which he called Mullen a greedy CEO, a clown, and a fraud. And just so that we're all clear, Mark Wayne Mullen is all of those things. Quote, you know where to find me, anytime, any place, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place, Mullen said, pointing at the floor in between the, de the dais and the witness table. If you want to run your mouth, 
We can be two consenting adults, and we can finish it here. O'Brien replied, okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now, Mullen asked? I'd love to do it now, (laughs) O'Brien answered. Well, stand your butt up then, Mullen said. You stand your butt up, Mullen then rose, uh, said the the, uh, head of the union. Mullen then rose to his feet. At that point, Senator Bernie Sanders, the chairman of the committee, intervened. Stop it. You're a United States senator. Sanders said as O'Brien called Mullen a clown again. This is a hearing, and God knows the American people have enough contempt for Congress. Let's not make it worse. The surreal moment uh, came soon after a separate physical confrontation involving lawmakers on Capitol Hill. That was the one I talked to you about with uh, McCarthy and uh, Burkett. So, what does this mean? This means that um, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, uh, Mullen, Republican of Oklahoma, has had some testy back and forths with the head of the International T- uh, Brotherhood T- uh, Teamsters Union. And that Teamsters Union uh, president has tweeted some less than flattering things at Mark Wayne Mullen. And Mark Wayne Mullen is such a man that he got offended by tweets to the point where he threatened to fight a witness in a Senate hearing while the hearing was going. I, I'm going to say this as nicely as I possibly can because it obviously, I have people in my life, I have acquaintances, people that I know, even people that I do business with that are conservative, that vote Republican. And so I'm not trying to offend everybody in my life that's a conservative or a Republican, but but I've got to say this. How the fuck are you people still voting for these clowns? How? I, I'm recording this audio, uh, the audio version of it as well as uh, videotaping myself for the YouTube channel. How? I'm going to look at the camera and ask, how are you fucking people still voting Republicans? It's a fucking clown show. It's an unmitigated disaster of a fucking clown show. These people aren't serious. They don't want to govern. You saw Chip Roy, a hardcore right-wing MAGA member of the House of Representatives this week, stand up on the floor of the House of Representatives and ask his party, not the other party, ask his own party, Republicans, if they could name one thing that they have done that's good for the American people since they took over the House of Representatives in January that he can go back home and campaign on. And he got fucking crickets. Because the Republicans know that they haven't passed anything. The Republicans have been in power since January in the House of Representatives, and we've had, what, almost two government shutdowns and nothing but investigations. You know, they they didn't even want to pass a bill to keep the government open, but at least they subpoenaed Hunter Biden, right? (laughs) It's a clown show. They're a joke. They're an absolute fucking joke. And and if you continue to vote for Republicans right now, I'm not saying ever, because everything course corrects at some point in time, but if you continue to vote Republican right now, if you vote Republican in 2024, shame on you. You're not about principle. You're not about policy. You're not about... Uh, your own set of values and morals and, and, and things that guide you in this world. You're about getting the W. You're about making sure that your team wins. Shame on you if you vote for any Republicans in 2024. These fucking people are a joke. And we need to send a message to them in 2024 that we're done with their bullshit. 
But none of that, in my opinion, was the biggest news story of the week. I always save what I believe to be the biggest news story of the week for the last story that I'm going to talk to you about, and that is what we're going to talk about right now. And uh, that would be that the Supreme Court has announced new ethic rules, ethics rules. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the uh, Supreme Court of the United States has never operated under a, a code of ethics. There's nothing governing these lifetime appointments from doing quite literally whatever the fuck they want, which is a mind blowing reality. You're appointed to a lifetime seat and you have nothing that binds you to be ethical in your role. I wonder how that one slipped through. I'm going to read to you now from Vox. Not Fox. Vox. V as in Victor. O-X. On Monday, the Supreme Court released a new code of conduct laying out ethical principles that the justices claim they have always adhered to and arguing that the only reason such a code is necessary is because the court's critics don't understand how things actually work. So right off the bat, we know this is going to be a fucking disaster. It's the first time in its history that the court has published a formal ethics code, but the introduction to this particular code makes it clear that the justices did so only reluctantly and that they don't actually intend for anything to change. Quote, For the most part, these rules and principles are not new, the introduction to the code claims, adding that the absence of a code has led in recent years to the misunderstanding that the justices of this court, unlike all other jurists in this country, regard themselves as unrestricted by any ethics rules. The new code was created to dispel the supposed misunderstanding the justices write, uh, and it largely represents a codification of principles that we have long regarded as governing our conduct. Really? The code, in other words, codifies the same rules that Justice Clarence Thomas follows, followed when he spent nine days vacationing on Republican billionaire Harlan Crow's superyacht, a trip which could have exceeded $500,000 in value, according to ProPublica. The code also locks in place the same rules Thomas followed during his frequent summer trips to Crow's private result in the Adirondacks. The code, quote, represents a codifying of principles, end quote, that Thomas followed when he bought a $267,230 RV that was underwritten by Anthony Welters, another of the many wealthy individuals who have lavished gifts on Thomas since he joined the court. According to ProPublica, these gifts include at least 38 destination vacations, including a previously unreported voyage on a yacht around the Bahamas, 26 private jet flights, plus an additional eight by helicopter, a dozen VIP passes to professional and college sporting events, typically perched in the skybox, two stays at luxury resorts in Florida and Jamaica, and one standing invitation to an uber-exclusive golf club overlooking the Atlantic coast. So... What the Supreme Court is telling you is we've always abided by some form of ethics code, and we're just putting this in writing for the general public because you don't understand what we really go through and what we have to abide by when it comes to ethic codes. Well, if you have to abide by fucking ethics uh, codes, then what the fuck is all of this shit going on with with Clarence Thomas? Are you telling me as a Supreme as the Supreme Court that these gifts fall under 
the code of ethics that you say has been in place the whole fucking time? Because if you do, with all due respect, your code of ethics are a fucking joke. They're a fucking joke. Oh, we've always adhered to a code of ethics. Yeah, that $500,000 vacation, private jets, uh, an RV underwritten by somebody else, that's all part of the code of conduct. That, that There's no impropriety there at all. Are you out of your fucking mind? I, I need to dig into this to find out if it would take a constitutional amendment to uh, formally introduce actual ethics codes through Congress for the Supreme Court, or if Congress can just do this. But that's what needs to happen. Congress needs to enact an actual ethics code, a set of ethics codes, for the highest court in the land, and we got to stop letting them govern themselves. These are lifetime appointees that have generational effects on our country. Roe v. Wade being overturned by this court is going to have generational effects. Civil rights cases, things of that nature. They have generational effects. We are allowing the people who are some of the most corrupt in our country and who make decisions that affect the entirety of the country for generations after these fucking assholes are dead and in the ground. We're allowing them to police themselves. When has that ever worked out well in the history of fucking anything does it work out well when the police police themselves does it work out well when the politicians police themselves no it doesn't and it's not going to work out well us letting the supreme court police themselves because clearly what they're saying to you is here yeah sure we'll put it in writing but nothing's going to change here Our justices are going to continue to be able to get lavish gifts. They're going to continue to be able to receive financial benefit from their position. And if it looks improper, eh, fucking deal with it. That's a fucking problem. Okay. I'm going to say this as nicely as I possibly can. And it's not going to come out nice because I'm not a nice human being. The highest court in the land, the Supreme Court of the United States, is an illegitimate court right now. It's an illegitimate court. It is a court where three justices currently sit in stolen seats. They operate under no real code of ethics in any way, shape, or form. And they will do whatever the fuck they feel like doing. You be damned. And when people go, oh, don't you think that's a bit of an extremist viewpoint, Tom? Why the fuck do you think the Republicans worked so hard for four fucking decades to reshape the judiciary with the Supreme Court being the cherry on top of the Sunday? Because it's that fucking difficult to change it back. Because it's that fucking difficult to say, yeah, we know what the Supreme Court said, but this is what we're really going to do. The highest court in the United States of America is an illegitimate court that is allowed to police itself, and they have now said that everything that we have uncovered in regards to Clarence Thomas, as well as other conservative justices, is already within the code of conduct that they are already operating under. We're in fucking trouble, folks. We're in fucking trouble. (sighs) 
I, I don't know what we're going to need to do about the Supreme Court of the United States, but I can tell you that what we're currently doing isn't working, and it's going to stay this way, unfortunately, until my grandchildren can vote. This is why elections matter. This is why it matters who we appoint as specifically senators and presidents. Presidents appoint Supreme Court justices, senators confirm Supreme Court justices, and elections matter. Remember, if you didn't protest vote in 2016, if you didn't feel the need to write Bernie Sanders in because you just couldn't bring yourself to vote for Hillary Clinton, then you helped create the Supreme Court. You helped Amy Coney Barrett get on the uh, the court. You helped Brett Kavanaugh get on the, uh, the, the, the court. You helped shape the Supreme Court into the body that it is currently, which overturned the federal protections for abortion rights in this country when it overturned Roe v. Wade. And it's coming after gay uh, marriage. It's coming after uh, gay sex. It's coming after everything. Congratulations. I hope the protest vote was worth it. Elections matter, ladies and gentlemen. They do. And if we don't make sure that we have a Democrat or at least a moderate Republican in office, the extremism is going to continue. And we are going to continue to regress as a nation and a society. All right, folks, that's all I got for you this week. I would normally tell you at this point in time to tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Second Half Podcast, but with it being Thanksgiving week, I will not be doing a podcast next Friday. Like I said, I will do a brief podcast on Wednesday solely to give my football picks, and that will be it. Um, my, My Thanksgiving football picks. I'll probably include Sunday picks in that one as well. Uh, so that I've got the full week of, of picks there for you guys. But that'll be the extent of it. There will be no second half podcast uh, uh, next Friday. So check in a week from next Friday, two weeks from today, for an all-new episode of the second half podcast. If you like this podcast, go subscribe to my other podcast, Off Topic with Tom Powell. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a pretty interesting format, and I think the interviews are going pretty well over there. Also, don't forget to swing by the website. Get yourself some uh, some gear, T-shirts, hoodies, wine tumblers, coasters. Uh, your, your Thanksgiving and Christmas merch is up now, so get that for you or a loved one. <clears throat> Order a copy of one of my books, or both of them. Put it in somebody's stocking if they like to read and they dig what I do. Uh, remember, if you don't pimp yourself, nobody's going to pimp you for you. So... You guys have a great Thanksgiving. Make sure you check out my website next Wednesday as a new blog piece is going to come out and it is going to be dealing with the proper Thanksgiving dinner. What to and not to have on your Thanksgiving table. And uh, until we meet again on this platform, as always, stay grateful.